come back in and find our seats. Love seeing everyone here this morning. We're going to take a moment and bring our attention, bring our focus back here to this place, to the Word, to each other. I was talking with Donnie up. I'm going to brag on you, Donnie, this week about how after he taught on the Lord's Prayer, he started praying that through with, uh, with his kids and um, how they, they have started then praying that out as well and learning this prayer. And, and I dare say most of us in here know it, but it it's also seems like a season where God is reminding us to root ourselves into it. So we're going we're gonna to pray the Lord's Prayer together as our way of centering in this morning on the message. So if you'd stand with me, I find that our posture sometimes helps. And just hold your hands open. Take a deep breath. Let all the concerns, everything that may have tried to hold you from being here, maybe waiting for you after you leave, maybe trying to distract you while you're here, just let them go and replace them with these words. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome everybody. My name is John Ray. I facilitate the teaching team here at Grace Church. We're really glad you're here this morning with us. Uh, welcome to everybody who's listening on the podcast, everybody who will watch the Facebook Live broadcast as well. I also want to introduce a special friend. Uh, Andre Valui is here from Finland. He's originally from Belarus with his daughter, Alexandra. They're in the back wave, everybody. Um, they've come a long way. Most of you I know. It was tough getting out of bed this morning, but you did not come from Finland. <laughs> so, uh, and I want to Andre has a, has a really incredible ministry that he does with the Slavic um, peoples and the nomadic people up in Siberia. And he does it, one of the ways that he does it is through hockey. Takes hockey teams into, into different places up there. And uh, he has some of the most incredible stories to share and opportunities to be involved with him uh, in what he's doing. So if you would like to know more about that, He's going to be available after the service today. Uh, Hannah, my daughter Hannah, is going to take him out to lunch. And just feel free to invite yourself into that lunch and spend time with them. If you're not going to leaders meeting, if you're going to leaders meeting, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> but everybody else, you can go to lunch with Andre. And uh, we've been reminiscing and talking about old times. And I was reminded of this story when uh, Andre's brother, Vitali, many of you know Vitali, he's visited this fellowship. One of his first trips over to the United States was during a presidential election. 
And so there was a group of us standing around, and we were talking about politics and talking about the president, and someone said something critical of one of the candidates. And Vitaly's eyes kind of got up, and he said, you can say that. <laughs> and then we went on to explain, well, yeah, like in America, you have freedom of speech, and you can criticize, even the president you can criticize, not just a candidate, but you can criticize a president. And at that point, Vitaly raised his eyebrow, and he goes, and you've tried this. <laughs> And it was an indication that there was this world, there was this place that operated on such a different ethos, such a different way of being, that it was almost impossible to comprehend. It was like, it was like okay, you can tell me that's true, but I'm really not going to believe it. Like you ha He had to experience it to believe it. It wasn't enough to tell him, hey, yeah, you can, you can do that. We have freedom of discourse and freedom of speech, and you can say these things. He had to see it. It's the same thing with the kingdom of God, with us. This is not something that we learn hypothetically. This is not something that we just gather information about and then, okay, I know it. We don't know it until we enter it. Well, let's... Let's get into the text, and as we do that, um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we believe you're here. We believe that it is you that has gathered us here, you who wants to reveal yourself to us, that you bring abundant gifts. You bring abundant gifts. And we ask for ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to love and obey, and minds to discern. Because without these gifts, we are dry and bound, we are sick, and we are without hope. So speak, Holy Spirit. We're here to listen. We're going to look this morning as Jesus goes on, and he's going to tell us about the kingdom of God. He's going to say, basically, we're going to learn that the kingdom of God is here because Jesus is here. But not just that, but that the kingdom of God is opposed to every and all other kingdoms. That it doesn't work like other kingdoms. I encourage you to read the bridge that Ryan has written in the Learning Guide this week about how we got from the Sermon on the Mount to this section where we're dealing with parables. He's done an excellent job in some, uh, making a summation of what's happened in the intervening chapters to where we get to today. And where we are today is Matthew 13. So if you want to look, Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, let's read this together. <clears throat> he presented them with another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plants sprouted and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So the slaves of the owner came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Then where did this weeds come from? And he said, An enemy has done this. So the slaves replied, Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, since in gathering the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them, let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time I will tell the reapers, First collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, 
but then gather the wheat into my barn. Now, it's hard to tell weeds from wheat, and God knows that, and he's going to tell us about that in just a little bit. So, but in the intervening, he gives us these two parables. He gave them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until the dough had risen. Jesus spoke all these things in parables to the crowds. He did not speak to them without a parable. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Now we ask the question in the teaching team. Let's just pause here for a second. We ask the team, the the question in the teaching team, if this is foundational truth, if what Jesus is talking about is so important that it's been laid down to the foundation of the world, why in the world would he use a parable to tell us? Like, why wouldn't he just come out and clearly say, hey, let me tell you the truth since the foundation of the world, here it is. There's a couple reasons I think this is true. One is that parables are both malleable and durable. A parable is malleable enough to be formed around almost any circumstance and in any culture that we have. It changes to fit our experience where we are. It moves with that. Yet at the same time, it is durable enough not to lose its essence. It's durable enough not to lose the truth that it contains. It is a dynamic truth. It is a revealing truth. It is a truth that transcends just categorization and then becoming static. Stories do that. Specifically, the parables of Jesus do that. But the second thing is, and and Ryan Grace brought this up in our teaching team, meeting, and I thought it was really insightful. Last week, we, we had serious discussion about how we take a tendency to take our own interpretation of things and make that paramount. Like, we like to systematize things. We like to make rules out of them, and then those things then become the thing. It's, it's a lot more difficult to do that with a parable. It's, a, it's very difficult to take any parable and so systematically dissect it that it loses that, what we talked about, that malleability, that durability. Parables keep us engaged. Parables don't dry out. Parables are constantly revealing something new. So he goes on. He says, when he left the crowds and went into the house and the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds and the field. He answered, the one who sowed good seed is the son of man. The field is the work and the good seeds are the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. As the weeds are collected and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather from 
his kingdom. Everything that causes sin, as well as the lawbreakers, they will throw them into the fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. The one who has ears better listen. So here's what I want to ask you. Because I've been asking myself this all week. Do you really want to hear this morning? I mean, really, do you want to hear? I'm not saying do you want to sit and listen. I'm pretty sure that's what you've already agreed to. You're here, you're sitting, you're listening. It's very different, though, to hear. Jesus makes that clear here. He told the parable to everyone. But then he said, those who have ears, though, let them hear. So I'm asking you, again, are you just here for more information? Are you just here to be enlightened? Or do you want something utterly different? Something shockingly other? Something that gives life, purpose, and meaning. Not so you can salvage the life that you have, but so you can be free of it and live the life that God offers. Because there's a big difference, y'all. There's a big difference between just listening for more information, listening to get some kind of nugget so you can salvage your current life and go on living it the way you're doing it, or to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Not my words, but what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In understanding this, there's a couple things we have to understand first. First of all, we have to ask, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? It's probably the most misunderstood concept in Western Christianity. We've messed it up, mixed it up, forgotten it, abused it a hundred different ways. So let's just stop for a minute and give some basic understanding on this. First of all, when Jesus comes and preaches, his predominant message is the kingdom of God is here. It's not prayer, prayer, so you can, when you go to heaven, when, you can go to heaven when you die. That's not the prominent message of Jesus. The predominant message of Jesus is the kingdom of God is here and it's available. Why? What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is here. See, Jesus is the king. It's not that difficult. It's just when we let it really understand it, it rocks us so hard we don't want to see it. But the kingdom is where Jesus is because Jesus is the king. So when Jesus walks into a crowd and he literally says the kingdom of God is here, it's, it's just an objective truth because the king has arrived. Where Jesus is means the kingdom is there. When the king walks in, his kingdom is evident. So the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is. <clears throat> That's why in John 17, 3, he goes and he says, now this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Because eternal life is a, is a function of the kingdom. We know Jesus, we submit to Jesus, we love Jesus, we're, we're, we're operating in the kingdom with that. The kingdom is where people are submitting to his reign, to his rightful ability, his rightful call to rule. We call this all different kinds of things, following Jesus, obeying Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus. But they all point to the same thing, that we're all, it's all about Jesus. It's all about where he is, and it's all about how we are orienting our life towards him. We talked, Donnie used that, that great illustration, right, of the attitude adjuster, right? It tells us where we are. All of our affections, all of our affiliations, all of our allegiances have to be oriented towards the person of Jesus. That is what to, is to define everything about our existence with that. And then that results in a definition we've talked about, we've used it as righteousness, but it also works here that in the kingdom, it's people, things, and all creation is as God intends. So there's nothing more important that can be talked about here than the kingdom. And again, Jesus is giving us parables so that we can understand it. But then we have to ask the question, well, what is it that keeps us from it? What is it that really keeps us from being in the kingdom? And again, if you grew up in a fundamentalist evangelical culture like me, you would say, well, it's obvious it's your sin. And that's true. But not in the way that I always thought about it. See, I always thought of sin as rule-breaking. I always thought of sin as, okay, God's got these eternal do's and don'ts. And somehow, either through my own brokenness, through my own volition, whatever it was, through my nature, through choice, however you classified it, I did a lot of the don'ts. And that's true, y'all. I have done a lot of the don'ts. And I have neglected a lot of the do's. I have broken those laws. But that's not the primary thing that keeps me from the kingdom. The primary thing that keeps me from the kingdom is my rebellion. You see, it's one thing to be a lawbreaker. It's one thing to violate a rule. Whether it's, it's there, you may violate it willingly, you may violate it unwillingly, you may not even know you're doing it, you break the rule. Yeah, it's true. That's one thing. But it's another thing for me to deny God's rightful rule in my life. It is another thing altogether for me to know what God wants and say no. Eugene Peterson talks about this quite a bit when he says, when we understand sin as this, is not merely rule violation, but a willful refusal to submit to God's rightful reign. And at the same time, making the demand that I be treated as a God. Because by God, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to choose to do it. Now listen, for those of us as Americans, this is heavy stuff. We like our freedom, right? It's, it's interesting. I have, I have conversations with my friends who grew up under monarchies. 
Brits and Kiwis, and we talk about this, and they're like, you know, they say, you colonist, and all your rebellions. But it's true, right? Come on. How many of you like being told what to do? The parents, okay? How many times have, have you gone to a child and told them to do something that they, that they would naturally even choose to do on their own? Something that they like to do, something that they know is good, but the mere fact that you told them to do it, they don't. <laughs> can I get it? Amen. <laughs> now, I know we can all giggle and laugh at that, but come on. What does that say about us? That we won't even do something that we know is good for us. We won't even do the things that we know are beneficial or right just because somebody else told us to do it. We do it with God all the time. We do it with God all the time. And it, it colors every one of our relationships. Because it's not just God. We do it with each other. We do it with each other. It's not just with each other. We even do it with ourselves. Even within our own self, there are things that we know we should do, that we're convinced are the right things to do, and there's something in us that even rebels against that knowledge inside of us. It says, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. What keeps us from the kingdom of God is our rebellion. That's what's holding us back. Now, those are kind of some generalized concepts that appeal across Scripture and the story, but what about this text? Like, what is this text saying to us specifically through these three parables? Well, first of all, it's pretty obvious that it's saying Jesus is king and you're not. Jesus is the landowner. He's the one that sows the seeds. He's the one in control. He's the one that understands. He has the mind. He has the wisdom. He has the power. He has authority. We don't. So let God be God. Let God be God. Let God sort the tares from the wheat. Let God handle the big things. Let God handle those things which we get so twisted up about. All of us, every one of us, myself included, we get so twisted up about these big things, these issues that are dominating society and culture, and we're, and we're constantly feeling like we have to fix it, and we can't. We're not supposed to. Let God be God. But that doesn't absolve us of all responsibility. See, here's the thing, right? Is we spend so much mental energy on the things that we can't change while ignoring the things that we can change. Grace Holt in our teaching team this, this week, she asked, where's the grace in this? 
Where's, where's the grace in these parables? And I said, the grace in the parables is in the seed. It's in the leaven. See, those are the things we can control. Every one of us plants seeds. Every one of us brings leaven to every conversation, to every situation. Now, is that thing in and of, in and of itself enough? It's not. It's not. No one of us in here is going to change everything. The grace is in the idea of this. I give this little seed, God grows it into a tree where all the birds of the air come and nest. It's not me. It's God. God takes that little thing. I bring the leaven to this dough. God takes it, he grows it, he spreads it throughout the whole thing. It's not me that does that, it's God. Our small mundane, everyday acts of obedience are the thing that God chooses to bless, to grow, to spread. That's where the grace is. Is that I don't have to do it. I can recognize my own inability to accomplish these great things and I can leave them to God. But at the same time, I can be assured that even the smallest act of obedience, the smallest amount offered, the smallest word spoken, the smallest thing said no to, the smallest thing said yes to, in obedience to God, God will bless. He sees it. He takes it. He multiplies it. There is grace all over these stories. When we stop trying to be God and let God be God. G.K. Chesterton, in one of his more famous quotes, he said, it's not so much that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. He said that it's failed to be tried at all. Y'all, this is not something we learn by just getting information. This is something that has to be practiced. This is something that has to be acted upon. And I'm going to ask you one more time, do you have ears? Do you want to hear this? Because I shudder every time I say something like this with the idea that somebody is going to treat it just like more information and you're not going to act on it. And the primary person that I'm the most fearful for is myself. That I'm going to stand before you right now and I'm going to preach these things and then I'm not going to do them. Because that is damnable. Look, we don't see it because we haven't really submitted to it. And we don't submit to it because we haven't seen it. It's just this self-replicating catch-22 of us standing outside asking for more information, more clarity. Tell me one more time. Let me read the small print. And we never step into it. 
And so we never experience it. And because we never experience it, it becomes dull, becomes boring. We become susceptible to everything out there in society that says, no, come here, do this, do that. Don't worry about this. It's over here. Look over here. Look over here. Click on this. Click on this. And we just become susceptible to it. And I get it. Submission is a dirty word in our culture. Just like obedience is a dirty word. We talked about that, right? We're just in our society in general. Human nature plus our society. I mean, y'all, come on. <laughs> it's tough. The submission has been abused, misused, ignored, and maligned. But if there is a kingdom, there is a king. If there is a kingdom, that means right now, in this place and everywhere, there is a king. Everything about our existence, here and now, in the future, and even our past is defined by our relationship to that king. Everything. Everything about us, everything about our past, our present, and our future is determined by our relationship to that king. It means we're either in submission to the king or rebelling against him. There is no neutral place. Sorry, you think that, hey, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not against God, I'm not against him, I ain't for him, but I ain't against him. I'm just going to be in this neutral place. No, you're not. You're in rebellion. There's no neutral. There's no high center here. You're either in submission or you're not. And that's not easy. It can sound harsh. It doesn't make it less true. Here's the incredible thing, is that our king is the God of the universe and the good shepherd. He's not a king like the kings of the world. He's not a king like we've seen. Selfish, violent, egotistical, or even beneficial but removed. Our king is quantitatively and qualitatively different. And in our submission is our salvation. Because if sin is rebellion, salvation is submission. Submission to Jesus and to his rule. Our submission is not just what we submit to not do, but what we submit to do as well. We submit to not be God. We submit to not get overly concerned with the things that we can't control. And then we submit to do the things that we know we can. The things before us, the people, the places, the opportunities that stand before us every day our classmates at school, our coworkers, our family, our friends, our spouses, the people that God brings into our communities from different countries and different cultures. We submit to those things. We pay attention to the things that we can do. But submission takes courage. It takes courage takes a courage most of us lack, all of us lack in our own selves. 
But we need to learn that no matter where we are, where we're from, God sees. God welcomes. God wants our willing submission more than we want to give it. And he makes a way where we can't do it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Last, last week when I, we approached the table, I asked you to say yes. Say yes to the message of God. Say yes to the message of the gospel. This week I asked you to come up. No matter how halting it is, no matter how feeble it seems, no matter how unsure you are that you can follow through with it, come up to this table today as a sign of submission to the kingdom, as a, kind, as a, as a way of honoring the king. Our king doesn't ask us to kneel or to bow or to prostrate ourselves, prostrate ourselves before him. Our king asks us to come and take. That's how we worship. That's how we offer our submission is we come and we receive. That's what our king does. He says, come and receive. Can we do that in submission today? Can we do that recognizing that Jesus is king? Can we do that recognizing that the kingdom of God is what this is all about? As we dedicate ourselves again this week afresh and ongoing to Jesus as king. Thank you for being here.